Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The head of Hoopeg says he wants the Bulldogs back in Hamilton. How will Canada's immigration policies impact the housing sector? We get you ready for Super Bowl 57 this coming weekend. Learn all about chat GPT. Legendary McMaster volleyball coach Dave Preston is calling it a career. And exciting news from the Gritty City Theatre Company. Learn more in the GMH podcast starting now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We'll go from the largest rink in the OHL to the smallest, but it'll be a great place to uh, to watch hockey. It'll be very exciting to see once again hockey at that level, which we haven't seen here since the early 1980s. We look forward to welcoming the Bulldogs back. We think that they're an a very integral part of the community. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin waking you up on another fine day in our city. The voices of Bulldogs owner Michael Anlauer, Brantford Mayor Kevin Davis, and Jasper Kujawski from the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group all joining us here on 900 CH, uh, CHML over the last number of days. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Hamilton Bulldogs going to Brantford for the next three years. It's big news, obviously. And it's obviously big if there is a potential that this team doesn't come back. So the question is, when First Ontario Centre is completely renovated, what is the plan if the Bulldogs don't return to the city? PJ Mercanti is the CEO of Carmen's Group and president of Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. PJ, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. Good morning. There's been a lot of back and forth on what the future holds for the Bulldogs hockey team in Hamilton. Are, are you surprised to hear that some people don't think this team is going to be back? Uh, I, you know what? I, I tough to comment on that, but I know from our position, you know, we believe the Bulldogs are an important tenant and sports franchise in the city. We do look forward to welcoming them back to a beautifully renovated arena that they themselves have long advocated for. Uh, obviously, the most efficient way of getting these renovations done are to close for a period of time. Otherwise, it will take much longer if we're required to work around existing activities. But as recently as January 20th, we were in conversation uh, with uh, Mr. Ann Lauer, OBG, our, our arena development partner, uh, to you know, to talk about the future of of the Bulldogs in Hamilton, and 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 we've made commitments out of that meeting that uh, that we will follow up with Mr. Anlau with more details. But we are hopeful and optimistic that we will be able to uh, you know work with the Bulldogs, work with Mr. Anlauer on welcoming them back to Hamilton. We've got a long relationship, uh, our, our family and our business, with the Bulldogs and their foundation. Uh, you know, the charity of hope and organization that that our family's a, a part of. Uh, has long worked with the Bulldogs Foundation. So we've got nothing but respect and admiration for Mr. Ann Lauer, the Bulldogs, and so we're hopeful to be able to welcome them back to a newly renovated arena. Brantford has rolled out the red carpet for the Bulldogs. What happens if that team stays in Brantford? Is there a major tenant that you can attract to this new arena? Well, we're certainly optimistic and hopeful that we can welcome the welcome the Bulldogs back. Um, and, and obviously, Mr. Ann Lauer, you know, will make decisions on behalf of his organization and, and for what's best for him and his team. Uh, but, you know, we obviously have, have big aspirations for activating the arena with many other types of sporting events and, and, uh, concerts and musical events. Obviously, uh, the Toronto Rock has issued a public statement stating their intentions to come back and their enthusiasm 
for for a renovated arena. So we obviously are, are grateful for for the Rock and their position, and and we we know that Live Nation is is, is bullish on this on this arena, and, and they certainly see opportunity with bringing in uh, more concerts and different types of events. So we're confident that the the facility will be activated throughout the year with all kinds of events. Obviously, you know, in the last couple of uh, months, the arena welcomed Michael Bublé and Pearl Jam, Rage Against the Machine. This upcoming year, we'll be having Shania Twain and the Canadian Country Music Awards. So there is a lot of great activation that can happen within the arena uh, in the, you know, up in the next couple of weeks or months, rather, uh, with March break coming uh, before us. Disney on Ice uh, is, is another popular attraction. So we're ho- hopeful and confident that we will be able to activate the arena uh, with many events, but we obviously do want to have the Bulldogs back to be a, another major part of the activation strategy. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is PJ Mercanti, CEO of Carmen's Group, president of Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. We're talking about the downtown arena project that has forced uh, a couple of teams, including the Bulldogs, to play elsewhere for the next couple of seasons. If they're, if the Bulldogs say, you know what, we're going to stay in Brantford, we love it, the Civic Center's great, the renovations are awesome, it's working for us, do you have a backup plan for a main tenant, quote-unquote? Well, we haven't uh, had any discussions, obviously, with any other uh, tenants on the on the same level as, let's say, a bulldog. So, so we're you know we're still looking at the existing uh, remaining tenants, being the, the the Toronto Rock and and you could say Live Nation to a degree as as, as a tenant, seeing that they activate the arena uh, robustly uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, and so, so we haven't had those discussions, and will not have other discussions until we know. Uh, from Mr. Ann Lauer and the Bulldogs, what their intentions are. Obviously, we, we do look forward to presenting him with more information over the course of the uh, the immediate future uh, with regards to what, what a return to the arena looks like, and, and we're hopeful that uh, it works for, for him and for the arena. Uh, that obviously is the intention. But, but ultimately, you know, Rick, they, nobody uh, obviously enjoys displacement during renovations. You know, whenever anybody's had a, a home renovation and they've had to move back into their in-laws, uh, or, or, or parents' place, or, uh, you know, when you think of, uh, you know, streets around Hamilton that have to get repaved, it's, it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Uh, you know, we, the reality is, is that, uh, 20 to 24 months is the, is the realistic arena renovation timeline. But, uh, but the long-term gain of having a new arena for the next 40 years, I believe, uh, Hamilton will, will welcome that. And, uh, and it's, you know, the arena right now, I believe, is 38 years old. So, so we do need to do something. A lot of people have been talking about the state of, uh, state of the arena, uh, including the Bulldogs. And so we're hopeful that, that both them and all of Hamiltonians, uh, will be, will be enthusiastically welcomed, uh, by the new arena. We'll be pleased with the new food and beverage amenities, the new, uh, social lounges that will be part of it. And, uh, and it'll be something that Hamilton will be proud of. Uh, you know, we see that Hamilton is a growing market and, and it deserves a world-class arena. And we're grateful that we're working with one of the world's largest arena development uh, partners, the Nokia Group. They did a billion-dollar uh, project for Seattle Kraken's Climate Plus Arena, a billion-dollar project for the New York Islanders UBS Arena. So these are world-class arena developers and for them to be aligned with us in Hamilton is tremendous. And I do think 
that Hamilton's best arena days lie ahead of us. Well, looking forward to seeing the changes at the arena, and hopefully uh, the old gang can all be back and playing once again downtown Hamilton. PJ, thank you for your time this morning. No problem. Thank you, Rick. PJ Mercanti, CEO of Carmen's Group and president of Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. Mayor Andrea Horvath uh, recently released a statement on this issue saying, quotes like all fans, I'm disappointed that there was no arena in Hamilton that could meet the Bulldogs' needs while First Ontario Centre undergoes extensive renovations. The city offered its support to all teams to assist with the transition, and we're still committed to doing that. I'm sure the city of Brantford is excited at the prospect of hosting our OHL champions, for the interim, and rightfully so, I encourage the Bulldogs and Hupeg to work on a timeline for their return to what will be a modern state-of-the-art arena in Hamilton. That is Mayor Andrea Horvath. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've talked about the housing sector a number of times on this show, and rightfully so. It's a hot topic. Whether you're looking for a house, you're trying to sell your home, you're looking at house prices, you're looking at mortgage rates, you're thinking, oh my gosh, when is it all going to correct itself or those prices are going to fall or that housing supply is going to be a lot more diversified? Well, consider this. Canada, over the next few years, each and every year, is preparing to welcome more than 450,000 new immigrants. So that's got to have an impact on our country's already airtight housing supply, right? I mean, how could it not? John Pasalis is the president of Realosophy Realty. He's written about this in a website called movesmartly.com, the headline, How Canada's Immigration Policies Are Driving Up Housing Prices. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. Very good. If we think the housing supply is tight now, wait. And, and if we think that home prices are high now, Wait, because as you've written, immigration's impact on the housing sector is an issue that not many people are talking about. What's your sense on the impact it's going to have going forward? Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly going to have an impact. I mean, if not on house prices, on rents, you know, rents are up over 20 percent year over year. Uh, you know, and I think when we talk about this issue, I think a lot of people misunderstand it. I mean, of course, Canada's uh, a country of immigrants. The question is not whether we need uh, strong immigration in Canada. The question is, you know, at what point does that level exceed our ability to to build homes? And, and at what point does that have a negative effect on households? Uh, and we're at that point now. The housing sector really can't keep up. Uh, and, and we're seeing that sort of in pressure both on house prices and on rents. You also wrote about local zoning policies and how they may not make a difference. Do you want to expand on that? Well, I mean, I think it is important, but I think, again, a lot of the, the supply side argument is that if you just change zoning policies, we can, you know, triple our housing completions. That's the target in Ontario. We have to build 1.5 million homes in 10 years, which is nearly triple what we build. Um, and, and my argument is like, you can change all the zoning policies you want. We can't really triple housing completions in 10 years. These are not realistic goals. I mean, what, what policymakers need to do is certainly change zoning policies to encourage more supply. You know, but we need to ramp up supply first, um, you know, to ensure that we're not having a negative side effect on obviously people's housing costs, especially lower income households who are being more impacted right now. Yeah. And when you break it down, I mean, we have a we have a housing crunch right now. And now we're going to add 450, 460 new immigrants. I mean, where are they going to go? Well, I mean, I think this is the challenge that that a lot of households are finding both, you know, and certainly mo many of the people moving here, the new immigrants and many of the foreign students are not buying homes, but 
they're renting. So a lot of the, the crisis right now, quite frankly, the bigger one is in, in the rental market uh, because people just can't find affordable rentals because their government didn't really plan to build rentals uh, before ramping up our, our population growth. And that's kind of one of the challenges right now. John Pasalis is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, the president of Relosophy Realty. He's written an article on movesmartly.com, how Canada's immigration policies are driving up housing prices. The goals that we have in this country, in this province, to build more homes, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be enough. Well, no, it's it's uh, it's just not possible. Like you know, we can't you can't go from building six hundred and fifty or seven hundred thousand uh, houses every ten years to building you know over a million and a half. Uh, you know, these are these are goals that are not realistic, and especially right now, what's happening is is given the economic environment, builders are actually taking projects off the market, so they're not launching as many. So we're actually eventually going to see. Housing starts and completions trend down, um, you know, and this, of course, is the opposite of what we need for a country that wants a booming population. So, you know, the challenge is governments cannot really influence directly how many homes are built. This is, you know, driven by the private sector. Our government doesn't build housing. If they did, they could influence it, but they don't. So uh, we're going to continue to see pressure on rents going forward. And that's the challenge. I mean, the, the very people who were trying to uh, accommodate and help them build a better life where we're not really uh, building houses uh, to accommodate them and, and make housing affordable. Another big factor, John, in this shortage of housing is that we don't right now, we don't have enough tradespeople to build all these homes. You know, 5, 10, 15 years from now, we're probably going to have even less. Yeah, certainly. That is the other problem and the other challenge. I mean, many, many are kind of going to be going to be retiring over the next 10 years. Uh, you know, and, and one of the hope is, of course, that immigration can help fill that gap, which is great. But uh, at this point, that's the, our immigration policies aren't really targeting uh, tradespeople directly. And, and certainly we need to be thinking more about that because there is going to be a, a, a gap in trades uh, over the next 10 years. So we got about a minute. Uh, so should Canada rethink its immigration numbers at this point? You know, I mean, I think it's it's prudent. I mean, every government needs to our, our federal government's policies on immigration need to be tied to what provinces believe they can build. Right. Uh, I don't think we need any other number other than ensuring that we can, you know, house the people that we're, we want to, you know, bring into Canada and, and settle in here. So I think we need more coordination between the federal government and the provinces. Well said. And it's a great article on movesmartly.com, how Canada's immigration policies are driving up housing prices. John, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for having me. John Pasalis is the president of Realosophy Realtor. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is Super Bowl week. And besides trying to decide which team you're going to be rooting for on Sunday, many of us are also trying to determine what the heck are we going to serve at our Super Bowl parties? Here to help us out, Mark Schlereth, a three-time Super Bowl champion, offensive lineman with Denver and Washington, and NFL broadcasting veteran. Mark, good morning. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. The uh, Super Bowl, as we know, is the most watched program on television each and every year, and rightfully so. It's must-see TV, the game, the halftime show, everything that goes on with it. I mean, you've been there. You know it. What is the key to setting up the ultimate viewing experience on Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, well, first and foremost, it starts with the television set. LG OLED TVs, award-winning 65-inch OLED C2 series. It's got the best picture quality, realistic colors, sharp, crisp images. 
Uh, zero blurring on fast motion means it's the best way to watch sports, do your gaming, movies from 42 inches to 97 inches. You know, they always say go big or go home. I say go big and stay home, right, with a great TV, LG.com for more information. Then you got to have food and snacks and varieties of spice of life when it comes to snacks. Variety starts with farm rich, tons of snacks and appetizers found in the uh, freezer case of your local grocer. Something for everybody on your snackcuterie board. Mozzarella sticks, breaded fried pickles, jalapeno poppers, you name it. They've got it. Meatballs, the whole nine yards. You can find out more at farmrich.com. And then the biggest nightmare, losing power during the big game. Jenniverse Home Power, the two pro solar generator, safe to use indoors, no fumes, no noise, no maintenance. Uh, rechargeable solar panels can run up to 99% of your home appliances, the fridge, the fans, the heaters, and most importantly, that OLED TV that we talked about. You can find out more information on the uh, Jenniverse Home Power at uh, Jenniverse.com. We are huddling up with three-time Super Bowl champion Mark Slareth as we get set for Super Bowl Sunday. Mark, what was the first Super Bowl you watched on TV as a kid? Uh, well, listen, I was a huge Steeler fan uh, growing up, and and I mentioned the biggest nightmare, you know, was is losing power. I actually that actually happened to me when I was a kid. I was a huge no. Steeler fan, and I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, um, but out in the in the sticks, um, and. Literally, there were, you know, I mean, huge distances between the houses where I grew up in the dirt neighborhood, you know, the dirt road neighborhood that I grew up. So we lost power. And, you know, back then you weren't afraid of your kids getting uh, taken and, you know, all the garbage that goes on in today's world. So I literally ran to my neighborhood, a kid named Vic Ferris. I ran to his house from my house. It was about two mile, uh, like <laughs> about a two mile run. And I just sprinted the whole way in the yeah, it's pitch black. It's wintertime in Alaska, right? So it's pitch black, um, you know, just a, a windstorm that cut our power out. So, yeah, that was uh, – that's like uh, – that's legit, man, a, a big fear. So, um, uh, you know, I started watching it when I was a kid and, and ended up watching um, – my first Super Bowl I really remember was the Steelers versus the Cowboys. And then that game was the Steelers versus the Rams, uh, 1980. So uh, – that that's really when I got into football, and that's uh, the Steelers are the reason I wanted to play in the National Football League. Well, the first one I saw was uh, the the Marcus Allen long touchdown game with the Raiders beating Washington way yeah. back when. That was that was a great game as well. Speaking of Washington, you won you won the whole enchilada Super Bowl twenty six at the old Metrodome. You handed Buffalo their second straight loss. What do you remember most about that night finally being crowned a champion? Um, uh, you know I I remember it. The, not not so much the feeling of exhilaration, um, more the feeling of relief after the, that win. That, that felt to me like, you know, we were the much better team, and um, and you know, just making sure that we that we got through that. And um, I, I tell you, it was the the practices were unbelievable. I'll tell you a quick story because uh, we just did a thirty year reunion of that Super Bowl. It was a uh, last March and, um, and Joe Gibbs spoke on that, on that. And, and we have practiced on Thursday before the Super Bowl. And we we're in full pads and just beating the living snot out of one another. <laughs> and, uh, Joe called the practice early and, and John Madden was standing there. And, uh, Joe, Joe was like, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta slow this down. Otherwise these guys are going to kill each other. And John Madden walked away going, well, I know who's winning this game. Like there's no question in my mind. And, you know, it was really cool. It was really cool to be a part of. And 
you know, we just went out and, and handled business. But that that was more of a relief. I, I always say Super Bowl 32, the the Denver Broncos versus the Green Bay Packers, that was your fork, you know, starting off that game at 11-point underdogs and understanding the history of John Elway in the Super Bowl. And, um, and that was that was a feeling of uh, of pure joy and exhilaration and 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 just uh, exhilaration and and you know and, and just winning that game was it was really it really was about John Elway and uh, and winning that for him. It was a great uh, back-to-back championship affair in 98-99, that is for sure. Uh, one more minute with uh, Mark Schlereth, three-time Super Bowl champ with Denver and Washington, as we get set for uh, the latest Super Bowl, 57, between KC and, and, and Philadelphia. Are you leaning one way or another? Well, I, yeah, of course I'm leaning one way. I'm leaning toward uh, the Eagles because, one, I you know hate the Kansas City Chiefs with the white-hot intensity of a thousand suns, so uh, as my, you know, my Bronco coming out in me, and then uh, line of scrimmage wise, I just think the Philadelphia Eagles are, are built there. You know, I always say there's, you're either big or strong or you're fast and athletic and the Eagles up front are big, strong, fast and athletic. So their ability to dominate a line of scrimmage, their ability to, you know, run it down your go it just for you know, the power game also to capture the perimeter of your defense because they're so athletic. You know, they can pull Jason Kelsey, their center and get him out there running and, now, the guy came into college, I think he, when he came into college, he was a running back, for crying out loud, playing center in the National Football League. He's phenomenal. So, yeah, I'm going to go that direction. Sounds like a good pick. And uh, Mark Slareth has some great tips for your Super Bowl bash this coming Sunday. Mark, really appreciate the time. Thanks for hanging out with us. My pleasure. Take care. And his three-time Super Bowl champion and NFL broadcaster Mark Schlereth will do it all again tomorrow with another round and a look at Super Bowl week. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You've been hearing a lot about chat GPT. What the heck is it? And is it going to change your life? Well, this is, uh, it's referred to as open AI, open artificial intelligence, releasing its blockbuster chatbot back in uh, November, December. And there's been some people who've experimented with it. But it is safe to say that this latest toy is upending everything from uh, education to journalism to finance. Uh, The question is, could it potentially trigger something bigger across society or across business? Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and journalist and our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carmi, good morning. How are you? Great to be here, Rick. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Let's start with the basics. What is ChatGPT? So it is uh, it is an AI driven chat bot, and it's if you've ever gone to say a retailer's website, and you know how in the corner there's like this is a little sort of pop up box that says you know hi I'm your customer service agent if you'd like any help just ask me a question, and then you can kind of ask questions back and forth here if your flight has been delayed by airlines because they've fired everybody, uh, they now have these little chat bots in the corner, and you can kind of type questions and they can answer them fairly simply. That's a simple example of a chatbot and what what chat gpt is is a much more sophisticated version of it it's basically like what would happen if if search engines grew up so with google you you punch a bunch of search terms in and it gives you back a list of links with a chatbot you can actually ask it fully formed questions and it will give you fully formed responses in return it's very much like a conversation with a human. In fact, some people think there actually is a human behind it. Uh, so it's much more sophisticated. It's kind of like search on steroids, the next generation. 
And basically, it's it, you know Google right now is seeing this coming, and they've called what's called the code red because they see it as a massive threat to their future business. They're literally reshaping the company as we think, uh, because if they don't adapt to it, they could get left behind. So why is it considered a threat? Um, because basically it means that, you know, we spent the last quarter century or so, Google's been around for 25 years, um, where search has been sort of the fundamental pillar of the way we use the internet. Everything we do is based on search. Um, but really the sort of, and so, and the background, the technology has gotten better over time. It's better at guessing what we're trying to look for. But the, the way of using it is, is frankly kind of stilted, kind of stunted. It doesn't really do anything rather than just give you a list of links. Whereas chat GPT is there. You can actually ask it to do things. If you have a term paper due tomorrow, you can ask it to do that term paper because what it's done is the technology has scoured the internet, has used data that it's found online to train itself because that's what artificial intelligence does. It kind of hoovers information from out there like a giant vacuum cleaner, and then it essentially uses it to teach itself. Uh, and so it can write that term paper. It can write an email. It can generate software code. It can do all sorts of things. You just ask it, and it'll spit it back. You want it to write a haiku about today's weather? It can absolutely do that. Will it be the best haiku in the world? No. But for a lot of people, that's good enough. And, of course, that's kind of frightening because you can use it to maybe do that exam in school. You can use it to write a term paper that you probably shouldn't. Maybe you should write it yourself. A lot of ethical and moral questions, but there's no, there's no denying it. This is incredibly powerful technology that kind of leapfrogs what we've been able to do with computers up until now. So the term paper or the report is, is a really good example. You would ask it to, hey, let's write a, uh, a report about, I don't know, the Vietnam War, and it would write mm-hmm. out this report. How, how does it write it uh, based on your writing style? So what you can do is you can ask it to, to be based on your writing style. And the thing is, we've all left information out there on ourselves. So unbeknownst to us, for example, I've been writing a blog for the last number of years. And so if I say, hey, please write a term paper in the style of Carmi Levy, um, it'll actually go out and it'll find in things that I've posted online. And it'll use that as part of the artificial intelligence to essentially mimic my style. Um, or, for example, if I want to write it in a certain academic style or a certain corporate style, the artificial intelligence has probably already been trained in that style that way. So, you know, does it sound exactly like me? Probably not. But, again, it's one of those things where you ask it to do it. It will spit back some copy. And then you would, in fact, rather than just cutting and pasting and submitting it to your prof, you probably want to review it and then maybe punch it up and play with it. And I know... And I know this, you know, in our industry, I know a lot of journalists who are using it to generate things like headlines and leads and like little bits and pieces, almost like a, a tool in their toolkit. They don't leave the final version to the technology. They use it as a starting point and then they tweak it from there. Are professors or are businesses able to spot whether or not chat GPT is being used? Yeah, in fact, there are sort of uh, chat GPT seeking uh, software out there that you can run something through it and Sort of like the software, if you, if you, if, you know, your kids will probably know this, but it's called Turn It In, which basically you can take a, a paper um, and run it through it, and it'll t- you can tell if it's been plagiarized. There are now chat GPT detecting platforms as well that can do the same thing, and they'll be able to tell you, yep, the, the, the chat bot generated this. 
Um, and in fact, the Turnitin and Service is going to be incorporating this capability so that uh, professors will be able to see if, in fact, the technology has been used. And a lot of schools, for example, New York City's public schools, Seattle, they've already gone ahead and banned it, basically saying, well, no, it can you know, facilitate cheating. We don't want it. But the higher up you go in the food chain, as you move you know, away from uh, elementary, middle, and high school into college and university, where academic freedom kind of, kind of dominates, there's been a, a, really a movement to recognize that, hey, this is a technology that we can't afford to ignore. Yes, it has moral and ethical questions. Yes, it can be used to cheat. But how can we take this technology, incorporate it into the way we teach, and change the way that we teach so it's a little bit more representative of modern technology? So you're starting to see some really long overdue conversations on how we teach, and maybe it's time to stop memorizing and regurgitating and you know doing long-form you know um, term papers that students write at home. Maybe it's time to start having more conversation about what this thing is spitting out and change the way we teach in class. I think it's a healthy conversation. Certainly, we're not quite there yet, but I think, and as a husband of a teacher, she's already incorporating it into her class. Hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense to do that. You can't stick your head in the sand. Another example of AI slowly taking over the world. Carmi, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Rick. Thank you. Carmi Levy, technology analyst, journalist, chatting about chat GPT, and uh, maybe you're already using it in your world. Who knows? You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of McMaster University's all-time greatest coaches is going to call it a career after 22 illustrious seasons at the helm of the men's volleyball team. Yeah, I'm talking about Dave Preston, head coach of the Mac men's volleyball squad. And Mr. Preston joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dave, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. You were honored Friday night before your last regular season home games over the weekend. What was that like? It was pretty surreal, actually. Yeah, it it was nice to have my family in the crowd. Uh, to feel the love from the support of the program that we've had over the years, you know, some former players, some former coaches. Uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was a really really special evening. How do you flip this the, the switch going from an emotional you know look back kind of moment to hey now we got to play some games here? Uh, I uh, I called on my inner Tom Brady, uh, <laughs> who said you only get one big emotional speech. Uh, when you retire, so I didn't want to use mine up that night. Um, so I, um, I just th- I thought it was really important that I kind of kept everything in check, just out of respect to the student athletes. You know, it, it's it was their game, it was you know their competition. Uh, it was a nice tribute to me, but the reality of it is that was uh, that was the important thing of the night. So just wanted to kind of keep it in check, and there will be a time where you know I'll be able to to you know, in, in a more emotional way, thank all the people that have had such a huge impact on my on my career at McMaster. But uh, I just didn't think that was the time to kind of express all that. When you do look back, though, 22 years, I mean, we're talking about more than two decades of coaching, um, many of them really good teams, winning awards left, right, and center, uh, 10 OUA titles. I mean, what, what jumps out at you when you look back at all this time? Honestly, Rick, I think it's the relationships. Um, like just the, the making a decision like this, uh, you know, you reflect and you connect. And the reflection on it, uh, just like, wow, look at the people that I've been fortunate enough to work with, um, work for, work with. Um, and, you know, just, uh, it, 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 yeah, the, the relationships of the players, I said, 
somebody asked a question on Friday night. And w- when you're when you're coaching an athlete, it needs to be very clear, especially for the athlete, what that coach-player relationship is, right? Like, and you can be friendly, but you can't be friends. And now that those guys are, you know, they have families of their own, and 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 they come back. Now they are friends, and so it, the, those the the evolution of those relationships over the years. Watching seventeen-year-old guys come in and leave men, um, yeah, it's it, it's it's probably the the relationships that uh, that have been the most impacting on me. Dave Preston is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dave is the head coach of the Mac men's volleyball team, 16-0 and in conference play this season, well on their way to another OUA championship, and who knows, maybe a U Sports men's volleyball championship, which is going to be held at McMaster in March. We'll get to that in a second, but I want to ask you, you know, the world has changed greatly in 22 years. Has coaching Mac men's volleyball changed that much as well? Hundred percent, yeah. Even probably within the last two or three years, um, there's just so much more stress in the world right now, uh, and especially on a student athlete. Um, we've really had to make an effort to reduce the amount of stress in the gym. Um, you know, uh, dig a little deeper to find the joy. But um, you know, I, I think the the game itself has changed, uh, and the the athlete has changed. But just the circumstances around both have really um, made a significant impact about, you know, how you do things, not necessarily what you do. We're still learning the game and trying to win, but how you do it is, is definitely changed. You mentioned Tom Brady a little while ago, and he's certainly had a Cinderella career on the football field. You know, the, the talent was there, the drive was there, the determination, all that kind of stuff. And you clearly have that as well. But as I mentioned before, McMaster is hosting the U Sports Men's Volleyball Championship, March 17th to 19th. Have you allowed yourself to envision going out as a champion on that stage? Um. I, I don't think I've got that far down the road yet, Rick. You know, I, I know it's coming, um, but that's not necessarily the um, the end game here. Um, it, obviously, from a competitive point of view, that is that is definitely the 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 goal. But um, I'm just trying to get our guys in a position where they're ready for it. Um, you know, this may be my you know 20 plus kick at the can, but for some of these guys, it's their first. And so if I start looking too far ahead, uh, I'm going to maybe miss an opportunity to make sure that they're ready for what's in front of them. And that's my role. So I got to make sure that I take care of them. And then there's going to be a point where I'll probably have to look back on it than look forward to it. Um, so, um, But right now, my responsibility is to the student athletes and making sure that when that day comes, they're in a position that they're prepared for it. We have a couple more minutes with Dave Preston, head coach of the men's volleyball team at McMaster University. He's retiring after uh, his 22nd season, uh, which is uh, currently underway. Again, 16-0 in conference play, well on the way to doing some damage in the playoffs as well. Um, when you look at you know your career as a whole, there's you know a lot of things, a lot of lessons that you learned for sure. What is your advice to the next person who's going to be taking over? Be you, uh, be real, and... Uh... You know, I, I think it's a, one of the things I try and impart on our guys, and I think it's probably a lesson that we learned. Just leave it a little bit better than you found it, no matter what it is. You know, we, we've got I've been blessed with some, some great young men, and uh, trying to trying to make them better is a challenge because they were great to begin with. 
Um, but if we can leave things a little bit better than we find them, I think that's probably, uh, you know, that goes from the, the state of the gym when we walk in it to the state of the people that we meet along the way. So um, I think that would probably be my, my biggest one. Well, Dave, you're going to leave this program a lot better than when you found it. And you've uh, molded a lot of fine young gentlemen and awesome volleyball players who've gone to bigger and better things. And uh, it's a testament to your passion and your commitment to the craft and uh, your knowledge and how to get the most out of your players and your team. Congratulations on a phenomenal clear. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be talking to you come March when uh, Mac is heading to or hosting the U Sports Volleyball Championships. Congrats and thanks for the time today. Rick, really appreciate it. Thanks and be well. You too. Dave Preston, head coach of the McMaster men's volleyball team. will finish off the regular season with games against York, TMU, and Toronto before the OUA volleyball playoffs begin and the U-Sports Championships coming to Mac in March. Should be a lot of fun. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Speaking of Hamilton, our theater scene is just plain awesome. Right? When you think about it, uh, Theater Aquarius... Hamilton Fringe Festival, there's so many others in between. Theater goers in this city are treated to some exceptional productions. And there's a local theater company that is going to be hosting a fundraising event this coming Friday at the Spice Factory. And here to tell us about it is the founder of the Gritty City Theater Company, Melissa Murray-Much. Melissa, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Hey, before we get to this fundraiser, let's talk about the Gritty City Theater Company. What are you all about? Well, fun fact about me, first of all, I moved here from New Jersey, and as soon as I moved here, I started meeting people, and one person said, hey, there's a theater group you should join, and this theater group mainly uh, grabbed um, plays and audition material, we would just get together once a week and just work things out, and I found a play called Lost Lake, which I'd seen in New York, and it's a two-character play, and I thought it would be great to work on this just for scene work. And then an opportunity uh, came along to work with the Hamilton Fringe Festival, and I thought, great, this is the play. We can just do this play. And now I've become a serial Hamilton Fringer. (laughs) Um, And um, funny funny story is uh, when we apply, they ask us, well, what's the name of your company? And we were like, um... Uh, and we came up with Gritty City because as a newcomer to the community, you see all these signs up like for Steel Town and, and the hammer and, and Gritty this and Gritty that. And I thought Gritty City is a great name for a theater company because it reflects what it's like to be an actor in general. It takes a lot of guff. And you got to work really hard. And this is a great city to work really hard in. So I thought Gritty City's great. It is a great name. What what brought you here from New Jersey? Um, long story, but my husband's Canadian and um, he'd spent 20 years in the States and wanted to go back home. And he's originally from Winnipeg, but we wanted to be in the GTA and, um, you know, Toronto's crazy expensive and Hamilton was the perfect fit for us. I I love this city. I loved all the smokestacks, believe it or not, and all the steel mills and the people. It reminds me of where I grew up. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, in um, a fairly industrial town in its day. And then I moved to New Jersey, which, you know, there's a lot of smokestacks in New Jersey and people <laughs> yeah. who work really hard. So 
Hamilton became the perfect fit for us. So, uh, and we love it here. A lot of people have a very similar story. That's for sure. Melissa Murray Much is the founder of Gritty City Theater Company and joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHV. All right, let's talk about this fundraiser that's coming on Friday. What's going to happen? So on Friday, uh, we are going to have live music. There'll be a raffle and there'll be performances. And it's also an opportunity for us to show Hamilton who we really are. Um, we have decided this year not to do the fringe and we love Hamilton fringe, but, um, we feel at this, this is the point in our company where we really want to focus on some pet projects that we have. And rather than working under, um, a, you know, a time, time frame, we want to spend the time developing more work. So what we'll be doing at this fundraiser is introducing ourselves to the community, um, and all of our projects that we're going to work on. And we also want to thank the community because when we are doing Fringe, we're running around the city trying to promote our business. And most of the local businesses have been wonderful. They let us hang up our posters. They let us leave our postcards. And they've been really supportive. So part of the raffle end of it will be an opportunity to showcase some of our local businesses in the area who have been extremely kind to us. Um, we also want to focus on uh, a project that I've been developing called the Canadian Slavery Project, um, just in time for Black History Month. Uh, we want to tell the stories of the unheard voices of people who were enslaved in Canada. So that's something that's new to a lot of people. That's new information for some um, that there was slavery in Canada. We often hear stories about the Underground Railroad, but this is an opportunity to hear the other side of that and to just pay pay homage to those people who worked really, really hard to make Canada what it is today. So we want to focus on that. Um, we have a filmmaker on board who wants to make horror films in, in Hamilton, and I I think it's a great idea. We did two <laughs> a lot of smokestacks you can take advantage of. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Melissa, we, we did we did two shorts for the Hamilton Friends, so we want to continue doing that. that that's going to be a lot of fun. Well, we wish you nothing but the best. I wish we had a little more time, but I want to uh, thank you for your time and invite our listeners to check out the Gritty City Steals Your Heart fundraiser this Friday at the Spice Factory on Houston Street North. Tickets twenty dollars. All the info on their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Uh, thanks for the time and good luck with the fundraiser. Thank you very much. That is Melissa Murray Much, founder of the Gritty City Theater Company. I love the name. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.